Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our 6A companion episode. We're going to take a look back at both where the characters started in the series and their journey so far, and then how the beginning of season six, episodes one through seven, set up their arcs to then resolve in the rest of this final season of Supergirl, in particular through the theme of power. And as you may notice, rewatching those first seven episodes, what it means to be a hero, I think, is something they will explore. Mm. And this chapter, like with really to the theme of power will ultimately shape the way that we see the entire story of Supergirl and what we consider to be the heart of it. You mean once it concludes? Yes. Using this theme of power in the last season contextualizes the rest of the story and we'll see them answer what it means to be a hero and a survivor and a part of a community. Those very Supergirl themes. Yeah. And each of the main characters has had at least one kind of main struggle that's related to these themes that they've been making progress with and demonstrated their progress with early in season six, so in these first seven episodes. Mm -hmm. But then we saw each of the characters regress in some way because of what happens to Kara when she's sent to the Phantom Zone. And it's highlighting where these characters still need to grow and likely where they'll grow the most for the remainder of season six in these last 13 episodes. Mm. Yes. Take, for instance, Kara, a.k.a. Supergirl, the one, the only. (laughs) A.k.a. Cycles favorite person. Cara Danvers is my favorite person. Further proof that Cycles is, in fact, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But we just did a bonus episode for our coffee subscribers and people who have donated this month or will donate, which is a commentary for the pilot episode. Which is a fitting thing to look back at for this final stretch of the story. And I thought it would make sense for us to look at the very first scene that we see Supergirl, young Kara in. The first scene of the show where Kara is preparing to be sent to Earth in her little pod. And we immediately learn several important things about her character. She is a character who, even in devastating and and scary, terrifying circumstances, will do everything she can to help. Mm -hmm. She, as we like to say, finds a way to help. And her very first line is, I'm not afraid, father, where she's trying to make her father feel better. While Krypton's like exploding around them and yes. the ground is shaking and stuff's on fire. Yeah. 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 And Alora and Zorel look at each other like, that's our daughter, which to me makes it feel like a trait that they've seen in Kara before and that they've nurtured in her. And that feels like a very oh, this is Kara moment, Mm. which is something like learning more about her throughout the seasons we also know to be true. And then she also has another line about how she won't fail them, which is, again, serving to sort of soothe them and be like, it's going to be okay." her, the like 12 year old girl who's about to lose her family and planet. Yeah, she's demonstrating, number one, she's thinking of others. And number two, she's being very reassuring in a way that we always see her with when she's helping people as Supergirl. Yeah, yeah. And she functionally has very little power in this situation, mm-hmm. which is something that, you know, she struggles with for the rest of her life. The fact that she didn't have control over that. But she leverages the power that she does have, which is the effect that she has on others and her ability to do the right thing. And compare that to, say, Monel fleeing Daxum. 
Yeah, when we see the true version of what happens when he leaves. <laughs> yes. And we see him not really act to save anyone. He just kind of lets his guard make decisions for him and lead him away, resulting in the death of the Kryptonian ambassador who was there. And this was all set up as a contrast with mm -hmm. Kara. And then <laughs> a little bit. It was set up to show the character's weaknesses and room for growth, as opposed to in this first scene of the series where it is demonstrating the heart of a hero in Kara. Yep. And we learn that this is a character with a strong moral foundation who acts in the way she thinks that she should or the way that she thinks that she must. Yeah. And it's funny, speaking of, you know, looking back and reflecting, we actually talked about this a lot in season five in our episode called You Jump, I Jump, which was for the Confidence Women 506. Mm -hmm. We specifically looked at moral development and kind of where the characters fell on that spectrum. And Kara embodies that highest order of moral development as a person in that she has her own intrinsic set of principles that she's accumulated by evaluating her life experiences and those around her and that she uses those as a lens for making decisions while also considering what is best for society and for the individuals that it's in her power to help. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we see the hints of it already in Tiny Kara, where she had the ability to react in different ways to the situation. She could have like argued with them about going to Earth and be like, no, I want to stay with you, like protesting, like, mm. I'm not OK with this. I'm staying here. I'm not going to lose my family and, and be with this infant baby and go to some planet I don't know. She says, instead, I won't fail Kal-El or you. She accepts the mission. Mm. And then that quality of like her accepting the mission will also later in adult Kara manifest in her like ability to sacrifice herself and willingness to do that. And then if you want to think about it in kind of storytelling terms, that's actually the moment that sets Kara up to go on the journey of the hero to becoming Supergirl. Mm. Like it feels like it should be later when she's an adult, but it is actually right there in that moment where her whole normal world is falling apart around her and she says, yeah, I'll do it. Yes, uh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that sort of, yes, I'll do it also manifests in Kara in more self-destructive ways. She's not she's not a self-loathing type of character, but when it comes down to it, she will sacrifice her life or we've even seen her have moments where she goes against what she feels is right because she thinks that it's right because she has that inner drive of like, I do the right thing. I do the thing that I should and that will help the most people. And obviously we see that Kara is brave. But then we also see that she like goes back for one last hug. She is also a little girl who loves and needs love. And she's not some like perfect, unwavering little soldier. She has feelings and, and a heart. And, and the moment sort of serves to humanize Kara, <laughs> pun intended, where, I mean, obviously it's a situation where you're set up to be sympathetic because something One terrible <laughs> is happening. <laughs> like, if you don't feel bad for her in that moment, you should yes. probably think about your life choices. <laughs> about your life choices. But the scene would play very differently if she just, you know, kept her head on the game the entire time and didn't have that moment of, like... I love my parents and I'm going to miss them. Mm. And that's an important part of the show of like needing people. So this scene establishes a lot of things, <laughs> in particular Kara's core trauma and a fear which will sort of dangle over her head in different forms for the rest of her life, which is manifested from this unthinkable loss and abandonment and, and suddenly feeling unsafe in the world. 
And that is that she has no power or she can't fix things and, and that she doesn't mm-hmm. get to decide. And ultimately, the thing that she carries forward with her is the fear that it's going to happen again in some way, that loss. And not only that loss, but the horror that happens to people she cares about. Yeah. And so that fear we learn in season one comes from her feeling like she never had a choice in losing Krypton and then subsequently what happens after. She actually says to Alex at one point, I know that Astra and I were both given life sentences by my mother. Mm-hmm. which is pretty harsh. Um, <laughs> and specifically, she says, you know, we didn't have a choice, implying that she feels a little bit trapped. Mm-hmm. And then we see later, you know, she has the panic attacks and claustrophobia and all kinds of yeah issues. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, we see Kara as a character who is like a force of nature. And the people in the show see her the same way, where she has these strong ideals and a pretty solid trust that she will have the power to help people. But she's also consistently pushing against this fear and this sense of powerlessness and and hopelessness that she then will voice in 6A. And it shows up across the seasons in different ways. Yeah. And Kara says as much in season five, she actually says that she feels that fear of loss pretty much constantly. And if she didn't push it down, she says she'd never get out of bed. And this is within the context of recognizing that the more people who know who she is, the more bad things could happen that are Mm -hmm. out of her control Mm -hmm. to them and essentially to herself, which is like the lesson she's kind of grappling with in season five. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going back to Carr's early life on Earth, she continued after that traumatic event to feel powerless because she was unable to do the thing that she thought that she was supposed to do. And the thing that she wanted to do, which was use the power that she does have. She says in the Midvale flashback in season three, no one asked me if I wanted these powers, but I have them. And all I want to do is to help people with what I've been given and no one will let me. Yeah. And then it's interesting because the same conflict comes up again in the Midvale flashback in season six with Akara, whose life turned out somewhat differently mm-hmm. after she came to Midvale. But she still says, you know, I didn't choose Midvale. I didn't even choose these powers. And I have kind of become locked into this life mm-hmm. that I'm living right now. Yes. So even though she gets what, you know, she thought she wanted, which was using the powers, she still feels trapped a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is relevant to, you know, original timeline Kara. We start off like in the pilot episode where adult Kara makes a pretty easy choice in terms of her own moral foundation and like what she cares about. It's a no brainer to save Alex's life when the plane is crashing to go and fly and save her. And that then opens the door for Kara to a harder choice, which is to commit to the life that she wants for herself as Supergirl to say, yeah, this is a thing that I am doing. (laughs) But then as her situation evolves and she comes more into her own as Supergirl, so does this fear of powerlessness evolve where she's this very powerful figure and she feels like she has a say in the safety of the planet. (laughs) But then, you know, we've talked about this before. If you think that you have control over everything, if you have that internal locus of control, and I have a say in how everything goes, 
you aren't really free to act however you wish because mm. your choices will have an impact on other people. I'm laughing because Alex says that to her in the season six Midvale flashback. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is funny because she is a very external locus of control person. But yeah. She's still not wrong. Well, it's she understands probably better than anyone the impact that Kara's powers have on other people. Yeah, but she's coming from that very, like, this has an impact on your immediate family. Yeah. But Kara faces the weight of the power that she does have in a big way with regard to Myriad in the season one finale, the two-parter, where Maxwell Lord presents this plan where a portion of the population will die, but they will defeat you know, non, the baddie. <laughs> and Kara struggles with that because she can see the logic of it, but also it goes against her morality. And then she tells Kat, my mother was faced with this decision on Krypton to act or do nothing. And she chose wrong. And she says, how can I let that happen again? And so we see the way that the sense of powerlessness hangs over her from the destruction of Krypton. And we see her here where the logically right or maybe most effective choice is one that she disagrees with. She has a hard time making a different decision because she is weighed down by the burden of like undoing her mother's sort of dark legacy, her failure to save Krypton. And Kat then tells her, which is one of the major points of Supergirl as a character, just be Supergirl. That's all anyone's ever needed from you. And she doesn't mean it in the sense that, like, only be Supergirl, <laughs> like we see in season three with Kara. But she mm -hmm. means just be yourself and make the decisions that you feel are right. And that will be enough. Yeah, which is very different than what we see in the flashbacks of young Kara very early on, where she saves the woman and her baby from the burning car. But Alex gets hurt. And then Jeremiah tells her, you know, the world already has a Superman. So all you need to be is Kara Danvers, where it's not affirming, you know, mm. do what's right for you. It's just cut off this part of yourself because we don't need it. Like, yes. <laughs> which is kind of, again, what she does in season three, but in, the in a different way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which, you know, it takes us to season three where Kara says to Eliza, I'm just accepting the fact that I'm not human. And if I'm going to do the things I have to do, I have to walk away from certain vulnerabilities. And this is her again, being willing to walk away from a part of herself because she thinks it's the right thing. And the season is about her finding her way back to the things that she genuinely wants for herself, having both, where she's both able to be Supergirl and help people and the ways that it is essential that she is also Cara Danvers, both for herself as a person and in terms of being a better and more effective hero in the world. And one of the turning points on that emotional journey for Cara in season three is when she ends up in the coma after her fight with Rain in episode 9 and 10. And we see through Brainy, who's kind of the access character for this part of Kara's emotional evolution, hmm. that she's in what he calls her mind palace, which is essentially like a safe space within her head. Mm -hmm. And we learn through the storytelling, the representation of this space could be anything mm -hmm. that is of importance to Kara. But out of all the things that could give her comfort, it's her loft. And that's significant because that space is the total of all of the choices that Kara's made for herself throughout her life since she, you know, was old enough to be independent. Mm -hmm. And the way that she finally gets out of the coma is by recognizing this fact. And after she tries to get out and can't, she kind of wrecks the space. And so she's going and putting it back in order and 
mentioning that she likes doing that, which connects to her thing about liking to help people and wanting to fix things. Mm. And she mentions a Sherlock Holmes quote, and this is where that name of our show came from, actually, Mm -hmm. how the brain is an empty little attic and you must stock it with such furniture as you choose, which then leads her to go, everything here is the things that I chose. And she knows that that's part of what she's got to figure out. But it's not until Brainy makes an offhand comment about it seems like Supergirl had a pretty great life that Kara's like, wait a minute, this isn't Supergirl's stuff. This is Kara's stuff. (laughs) And she's recognizing in this moment where she finally does get out of the coma that she can't have one without the other. And this also ties back to her choice in the pilot to save the plane Because she's ultimately able to become Supergirl and be effective as Supergirl because she chose to be Kara Danvers. Yes. But then later on in season three, there's a final conflict um, decision for Kara to make, which is, you know, do I agree with what my mother and my space dad, (laughs) my father figure, Jean, are telling me is the right choice or do I stick to my own internal moral foundation and my sort of gut feeling that Kara loves so much. (laughs) And she makes what she later considers to be the wrong choice, which is she goes along with what they say and she kills Rain and then she loses a big old chunk of her loved ones. (laughs) Almost. Literally everyone who's there with her trying to fight Rain. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, that's the thing that we see in 6A comes back as a fear in another form where she's losing Mm. possibly everyone. And the realization there is, you know, who she is is already right. And that's something she continues to have to learn over the seasons. Take another new way that this feeling of powerlessness and and rears its head for Kara with her relationship with Lena, where Kara feels like she does have power over Lena's well-being, which then, like we've said before, you know, great power, big old responsibility. (laughs) It it sort of traps her in her mind into doing what's best for Lena all the time. And she agonizes over that over seasons. Yeah. And kind of taking herself out of the equation. Yes. And she comes to different conclusions about what is right for Lena. Like, I shouldn't tell her because she'll be in danger. I shouldn't tell her because her only friend will betray her and and she can't handle that. Or then later, I have to tell her because she deserves to know. You know, it's all about like trying to figure out how to best help Lena and feeling like she has all the control over Lena's life. And it's not on Lena to react in a nice way and like to to hold her own and and be secure in her own mental well-being. It's on Kara. That's what Kara believes. And she begins losing touch with, in some ways, her own value system again, where she maybe in other contexts wouldn't break the law for like a favor for a friend. Like Alex says, it's a big thing to do for Lena having peace of mind and, and feeling better, breaking into a government facility in order to get some notebooks for Lena to feel some closure. And then in the 100th episode, it's a super life. Kara like forgets very important events of her life that are very greater good based. Otherwise, she would be the most concerned about that because she's so twisted up with like doing the right thing. In this other context, she loses touch with that. Mm. 
And then she only gets out of it by seeing that she actually doesn't have the power to protect Lena and everyone else perfectly, that there's no like perfect right answer that has no consequences. And then that is actually more empowering for Kara. She gets to just live with the choices that she made and do what she wants <laughs> and be like, OK, this is what I decided. And that's OK. Yeah. And we've seen throughout the series that Kara, as someone who is sometimes triggered by too much change all at once, this is a big step for her. Mm, yeah. To say, all right, I'm comfortable with things changing because I can't control them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then that takes us to season six, where Kara actually starts off feeling pretty confident that she can handle anything that comes her way and has that power, especially given that her relationship with Lena is in a better place and she's not as concerned about that. She says to Lena, well, I was stuck in the Phantom Zone replaying the destruction of my planet for nearly a decade bring it on which is just a mean setup for what's about to happen <laughs> really at the is. end of the episode really is and then you know we see her hit rock bottom in a way that we've never really seen before because of what the phantoms have done to her mindset but the journey that she goes on is finding her way back both in the present and in the past <laughs> in the flashbacks through the encouragement of her loved ones take with Zorel. With Zarel, she starts off hiding her vulnerabilities because she's trying to be the hero that she needs to be and do the things she's supposed to do by sort of rejecting that part of herself. But then he reaches the part of her that is like his daughter that he lost and that she hasn't been able to be in a really long time. And when she is overcome by the Phantom, Zarel encourages her saying, you can fix things you did. You fixed me, which reaffirms Kara's belief and her tendency to hope which is the thing that he the whole time had been arguing against. <laughs> Everything's hopeless was his mindset. But in this moment, he instead is like, no, you were right. What you believe, your beliefs are right. And then we also see the same setup with young Alex and Kara. Yeah, that scene was really nice and ties back to this conflict for Kara that's been present throughout the whole series and that they're definitely going to continue with. Of Kara says to Alex... Before she does the do-over, <laughs> you pushed me to finally figure out what I want to do with my life and to make a choice, but she's nervous about it and says, I hope I made the right one. And Alex says, well, it is the right choice because you made it, implying that Kara choosing for herself, no matter what it is, it's right because it aligns with her values and it is something that she believes in. Yeah, which is not something that she initially <laughs> felt. No. <laughs> she was arguing, you know, against Kara's inclinations and the choices that she was making to be super. Yeah, which the other thing I like about that is it is a nice implication, again, that Kara Danvers is a key part of who Kara is and why Kara is able to be Supergirl as successfully as she is because it's her family on Earth that pushes her to breathe for a few minutes and think about herself and a context for herself and the life that she wants to have versus mm -hmm. her landing at 13 years old and saying, OK, mom and dad told me I should do these things. <laughs> Here I go. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, part of that is determining where her own wants and, and the sort of expectations begin and end, where obviously it is a real value of Kara's <laughs> to be super and to, to be extraordinary. It's something that she wants, but it's also something she feels that she has to do, you know. Mm. And in the two-part 
flashback in 6A when Kara talks to Kenny and says that she actually doesn't want to go to Midvale College and instead wants to go to National City University and make choices by abstracting it from like the literal, I want to be a hero and you won't let me that she has with Alex to being like, I want to make choices. You can see more clearly the lesson within the lesson, that it's not just about like legacy and being a hero. It's about Kara choosing the life she wants to have and turning into the person that she wants to be. And thematically, the lesson being that power lies in Kara being a fully realized version of herself and in touch with all of her identities and secure in her beliefs and, and doing what she knows is right. You know, going back to that version of Kara that we saw immediately where she already has a heart of a hero, as her Kryptonian family members will say. And they set this journey up perfectly in the pilot when mm-hmm. when Alex gives Kara the Allura hologram and it plays a message from her mother, which is, Kara, my brave daughter, by now you have become the woman I knew you would grow up to be. And though you were sent to Earth to protect young Kal-El, your destiny is not tied to his. There is no correct path in life. You will lose your way many times. What's important <laughs> is that you find your way back to the brave girl you always were. Be wise, be strong, and always be true to yourself. Which is like the thesis statement of the essay <laughs> that is Kara's narrative journey in the series. <laughs> it's true. Yes. And it's the be true to yourself part that Kara, not that she struggled with because she has a good sense of who she is, mm-hmm. but the part where she feels comfortable choosing things because it matters to her personally mm-hmm. in addition to mattering to the world at large. Yes. And also, you know, the ways that she can be a hero being driven by her own personal value system. It Mm -hmm. also related to the greater good and and that part of herself that is like always, I have to do the right thing. The right thing is, you know, is what what she chooses. It is. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's not just what Kara as a hero chooses. (laughs) The message isn't like, I mean, it is partially because obviously the show has certain values and prioritizes the good of all maybe over Alex's point of view while also valuing that. But the message of Kara as a character is also just you know, be your own hero, be the version of yourself that is embracing who you are and stepping into your power, as it were, (laughs) in the way that is unique to you. Yeah. And it's not just Supergirl that makes Kara such a powerful figure in that she has the abilities and that she can do these extraordinary things. It's the emotional impact that she has on people, the way she uses words, the way she Mm. uses action to tell people things. You know, she inspires other people to find power within themselves by embracing who they are and feeling confident in that. And then them, they go out and make their own choices Mm. as well. So in 6A, we see it in that flashback where she has the conversation with Kenny about needing to choose her own path and him recognizing, you know what, as much as I have also loved my relationship with you, I need to figure myself out too. Mm -hmm. And then you also see the impact with her father when they're in the phantom zone. And Kara, even without powers, is so steadfast in her belief that they have to keep trying Mm -hmm. and that there will eventually be a way that he finally sees why she comes from that place and is like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Okay. You know, if I choose to have that outlook, maybe I can help you find that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And be the hero that Kara is like, you used to be. (laughs) Yeah. And then we also see it with all of Kara's Earth family who are trying to get to her, 
where they are finding their own ways to be heroic and live up to their version of Kara's principles of being a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and sort of grappling with what they set up in the first episode of the season, her legacy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's talk about the rest of the super friends. <laughs> yes. And so obviously, if we're going to do that, we have to start with Alex. Alex, yes. <laughs> Whose central struggle has been feeling like she's safe to be her like imperfect self and, and mm. have needs <laughs> related to being like not a perfect a human person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's related to how she thinks that she has to serve a specific role in her family where she's protecting Kara and she's protecting others and she's, you know, minimizing any needs of her own mm-hmm. in order to be the perfect like protector of them. Taking the pilot episode, we see her make a sacrifice where she's like delaying leaving for her flight that is soon <laughs> in order to help Kara pick a shirt. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) which seems like a trivial thing in hindsight. Uh (laughs) And, you know, in the same pilot episode, she voices at a turning point for the character, feeling like she couldn't compete with Kara growing up and feeling like she didn't have her own worth. And she has this moment of doubt with Jean, who was Hank at the time, where she asks, I wasn't only recruited because of my sister, was I? And he responds, you know, she got you here, but you're the reason you get to stay. And then she gives this cute little smile that's like, yay, you see me. (laughs) Yeah. But then, you know, later in season one, Red Kryptonite Kara plays upon that fear in Alex when she says, without me, you have no life. And for Alex, it's sort of the sense without Kara, without, you know, protecting my loved ones, I have no worth. Otherwise, I know like intrinsic, my needs have value, my personal wants and choices have value. And so like Kara becomes in season three, like Supergirl only (laughs) and steps away from that Kara Danvers identity. Alex struggles with with feeling like she exists to take care of Kara and the rest of her family, as opposed to the other parts of herself that, like, want a family of her own, etc. And she articulates this really beautifully in the beginning of season two when she's talking to Maggie about, you know, figuring out her sexual orientation. She says that she's always felt responsible, and she says, weight of the world, responsible Hmm. for the well-being of others, and specifically Kara. And then you figure, okay, that makes sense, because, (laughs) you know... Kara actually could affect the world. (laughs) But that early part of season two really reveals the extent to which Alex puts that responsibility for other people ahead of carving out any space for herself. Hmm. We see in the evolution of her coming out arc that being attracted to women wasn't so much like a totally new sensation or or thing that she was completely unaware of Hmm. but she had been repressing it because it wasn't what she felt like she was supposed to be doing or it didn't match you know Mm -hmm. her expectation of being like the perfect person the perfect daughter etc yes mulan the perfect daughter yeah Uh, um, (laughs) reflection is all about alex (laughs) and we see her struggle throughout the majority of season two to find any balance between making space for this new relationship she has with Maggie and her perceived obligations to serve and protect others. And it's messy. She struggles a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
And related to that, even once the pieces click and she's like, oh, I'm gay. Cool. Let me date Maggie. (laughs) We see her actually, even though she figures that one piece of it out, struggling to find her own voice within that relationship Hmm. for as happy as it's making her. Because she voices this fear, essentially, that she feels like getting something that she wants means that she has to pay a price for it or that something bad will happen as a consequence. Mm. And so she sometimes holds back being honest and emotionally vulnerable with Maggie out of fear that she'll lose that relationship or if she's too happy in that relationship, either it will be taken away from her or something else will. Mm -hmm. And then that culminates in season three in her finally expressing that her desire to be a parent is so strong that she can't let it go. Mm -hmm. And then as a consequence, she ends up having to break off her engagement, which also meant a lot to her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's almost a Kara choosing to save Alex and then deciding to be Supergirl moment where Mm. the thing is so important to her that it can't be ignored. And then that leads to her having to make hard choices about like what she wants. But part of that struggle there is similar. It's like adjacent to the struggle that Kara goes through in season five of accepting that her own choices are the only thing she can control. Mm. Where Alex, in particular in season four, she starts recognizing that she needs to trust that other people can take care of themselves, especially when they are competent adults, mm-hmm. and that she doesn't have to overload her brain with all of this worry. Mm. Yeah. Like, so in season four, Alex starts off in a better place on that because you have that lovely beat at the end of season three where Kara's like, no, we're going to be okay. <laughs> but then these external threats to Kara because of the Children of Liberty and Colonel Haley coming into the DEO cause Alex to regress to the point at which she ends up sacrificing her own memories an understanding of who Kara is in order to protect her. Mm. And this seems on the surface like it's a decision that's entirely about Kara and protecting Kara, mm-hmm. but it actually isn't, which was so interesting in looking back at it because <laughs> it's also Alex making a very active choice to stay at the DEO based on her own values as a hero because Kara actually says like, please quit. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you yeah. don't have to stay. And Alex is like, no, I do, because of the point you made earlier about someone needing to be here to uphold these values. Yeah. Which is Alex choosing, you know, her own value system over maybe protecting her relationship with Kara mm-hmm. and, and that she essentially carves out a portion of her relationship with Kara, which is so important to her in order to, you know, stay true to what she thinks is right, which is, you know. Progress, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's funny, though, because removing that weight of knowledge about Kara being Supergirl from Alex's mind doesn't actually reduce her concern about anyone's safety, at least not until we get to like the Menagerie episode and Jean and Kara kind of reassure her. And that's when she has that revelation of like, I need to chill a little bit. (laughs) And especially because now she doesn't think Kara's off fighting the world's most dangerous bad guys. Mm -hmm. She feels that pressure come off at least enough that she can make space for her own personal wants and needs. Mm -hmm. Again, which she freely admitted that she just dropped. (laughs) And then in the midst of all of this, she meets Kelly. Kelly Olsen. Kelly Olsen, Cycles' new favorite character. <laughs> Which And that relationship's nice because it doesn't start out with there being any expectation. Alex is able to kind of just come at it 
a little bit more organically, I guess, in the sense that mm-hmm. they get to know each other a little bit before she's like, oh, I like you. Mm-hmm. And so like within that, towards the end of season four and into season five, we do see Alex making some progress on this struggle between acknowledging her own wants and needs and her desire to kind of protect everyone to a level that's maybe causing too much stress to herself. <laughs> and she's doing all right with that until... They find out that Jeremiah has died for real Mm -hmm. late in season five, at which point she kind of spirals and then in a fit of anger at Kara, technically, she kind of makes this outburst and says, I've spent my whole life protecting my family and I'm over it, essentially. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm And within that episode, by the end of it, she comes around and says, actually, just kidding. I was mostly (laughs) mad at myself, like disappointed, Mm -hmm. essentially, that I couldn't save my dad and I felt hopeless. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there was nothing for me to do. Yeah. Where we see Alex struggle with extremes and this question of like, can I protect my family? Where does my own identity and needs come into play? And like other characters, she in this moment goes to the extreme of I'm not doing it at all. It's just me (laughs) and my wants and what I need now, which is also not the answer (laughs) for her. Yeah. And the other thing that's Really interesting, you know, thinking about how the trajectory of the character has progressed over the series is that, again, we see within this little story in season five that Alex is still struggling with this fear that being happy means the world is going to make her pay a price for it somehow Mm -hmm. because, you know, she rescued her dad from Cadmus with the hope that they'd get a chance to reconnect and kind of heal some of those wounds that were left from her adolescence. But then he died. And essentially, Mm -hmm. she's like, I had hope and then my hope was crushed. Mm -hmm. But then when she goes into the VR as her escape, essentially, it traps her because it makes her feel happy. Like Mm. she feels better and then she becomes potentially stuck in there forever, (laughs) which is horrifying. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of like extremes. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting there is that she finally escapes when she is forced to confront and then defend herself mm-hmm. from the opinions and criticisms of other people. And we kind of see in the conclusion of that that it isn't that she doesn't like being in that role as the protector or that she doesn't want to do it. It's that she puts so much pressure on herself to get it perfect Mm-hmm. in ways that aren't healthy and that no one else expects her to do. <laughs> yeah. She just kind of does them. Uh, <laughs> Your favorite example of Lex? Yeah, yes. <laughs> like she personally has to defeat Lex Luthor, which in season five was unrealistic. Now maybe I feel like she's valid if she wants to claim that. Um, <laughs> given the things that happen in the front part of season six. That's fair. Which, you know, speaking of, we commented initially when we first watched the season premiere of season six, how confident Alex (laughs) seemed with their plan to catch Lex, even though Kara's like, yeah, I'll probably die. (laughs) Like she genuinely believes that they've accounted for everything and that she trusts that Lena's device that they're going to use, you know, to revive Kara will work. Like she's making jokes to Kara in the (laughs) fortress. She doesn't linger and say like a concerned goodbye like she does in season one before Kara goes to save Myriad. Well, she does it a lot where like right before rain, she's like, hey, this is scary. 
right before the Daxum fight, she does the same thing where she's like, hey, we need to have like a touchstone moment where like we recognize that this is dangerous and we love each other and promise that you're going to be okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and there was none of that here, which was. No. Uh, She's just like, I'll see which you was later. like growth, <laughs> and you're but like, then. Oh. yeah. <laughs> and the part about it that is like so mean, and I'm sad that this wasn't actually the season finale of season five. A little mm. is that she and Kara are so. I wrote in the notes in the zone, and I was like, that was such a. I didn't do that on purpose. But, um, <laughs> good job, good job. But they really are like when Lex kind of throws everything into chaos. They have this wonderful, like nonverbal, you know, synchronicity with each other Mm -hmm. which is paralleling another moment where they had the same sort of thing earlier in the same episode where alex threw something to kara and she defeated the last member of leviathan yeah and so she's so focused on that and thinking everything is going great it's not until she's done the thing that she and kara planned to do and she thinks they've won and turns her head back to see Kara like vanish in front of her eyes with this look (laughs) of terror on her face yeah and uh, that wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not great. But she stays like pretty optimistic for, for Alex. For... I mean, gosh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where, you know, she's like, oh, what am I going to do at the end of the episode? My sister's not here. I got to get her I back. I need her. Yeah, got to <laughs> get her back. I need my sister. The city needs her. And it's not like her genuinely like, I'm never going to see her again. It, yeah, it's like, like her very normal mm-hmm. reaction to when something like that happens. It's like what we would hope for her yeah. <laughs> in normal circumstances. And, you know, Jean offers up Sentinel as a nice, like, identity celebrating moment for Alex when Alex is like, oh, I need her to be here. And he's like, you're not your sister, but you're every part of hero as she is, which is tying back to that same, like, she got you here, but you are the reason mm. you get to stay from the yeah. pilot episode. And, you know, she's in a decent place, but then... You know, she doesn't get Kara back immediately. She hits setbacks and it's tough. Yeah. And uh, Alex and Failure are not friends to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) And so... This is like an ultimate failure. You know, you think back to the beginning of the series and Alex protecting Kara is what everyone told me to do my whole life. Right. She's failed her mission. And here she's, yeah, she's tried everything she can think of Mm -hmm. to do that and still failed. And, you know, she would have just jumped in there and gone on her own if John hadn't been like, we can't also lose you. Yeah. Um, She would have died. But yeah. yeah. And and when she's confronted with the gravity of this failure, Mm -hmm. it is not a good experience. It is kind of like despair hour in the Alex Danvers house. (laughs) Yeah. She says the thing about like not feeling like she wants to get out of bed. It's the lowest that we've seen her, I think, in the same way that Kara in the Phantom Zone after the Phantom attacks her is the lowest we've seen her. Yeah. Where she's like utter hopelessness and like not only can't see a path forward, but is just devastated from that and immersed in it and can't get out. I would say kind of like paralyzed by inaction is probably the way I would put it. Mm -hmm. And if you think to the way we see her sitting alone in that despair is actually very similar to when we see Kara finally fully affected by the phantoms. Oh, that's good. That's good. And the show... Every season, you know, Kara and Alex have these parallel emotional journeys and lessons that are not the same, but similar. Mm-hmm. So, And, you know, Jean also tying in, in in different ways. Well, and speaking of Jean, 
the thing that lets Alex finally pick herself back up and feel reconnected mm-hmm. with what's important to her, which is helping the people she loves, is seeing that Jean needs her. But at this point, when she goes to help, she's recognizing that she needs to help them in the ways that she can mm-hmm. versus the ways that she unrealistically maybe thinks that she should. Yeah. It's like Kara in the pilot episode telling her father I'm not afraid as opposed to Kara in the pilot if she were trying to keep Krypton from exploding as a 12 year old you know yeah it's it's focusing on the power that she has exactly and which is why that the hero moment that we talked about in 604 for Alex as Sentinel is so powerful Mm. In that she is the last one standing despite having the fewest superpowers. I will, I will argue that her superpower is just like resiliency. Yeah, um, <laughs> bird stays in the air yeah. through sheer force of will. <laughs> yes. But the fact that she is the one who gets them that victory kind of echoes what she had said to Lena earlier in the episode about how they all have strengths that they bring to the table and that they need in order to Mm -hmm. be a unit, even if Alex herself doesn't have, you know, the ability to phase through walls or fly or... Yeah, where, you know, the message of the show being like each of you has in your own unique way a way to be powerful and a way to help the world and to be happy in your life. For Alex, accepting that she is a human person with certain (laughs) abilities and a certain degree can protect people, but also has wants and needs of her own. That being a part of what makes her a strong person and a person that is important for the team is the journey that she is going on. Yeah. And the other part there is that this hero role as Sentinel is significant for Alex I know I was kind of like, about the vigilante thing initially, but the (laughs) things about it that when I was thinking about it more are important are that this is a role that Alex is choosing for herself, much like how Mm -hmm. Kara is kind of embracing finding power in her own choices. Mm -hmm. Like the DEO was brought to Alex in a moment of vulnerability and she said, sure. Like, uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) well, it was important step for her. It was. It was an early step, kind of like Kara making the decision to be Supergirl was an early step. And then things get a little bit more difficult and complicated later on. Yeah. And so at this point here in, you know, early season six, Alex's motivation is still to protect others and her family in particular because she's, you know, accompanying them and helping them to protect others. But she specifically now has this weapon, the hand of the soldier, that reacts to what her thoughts command it to do, (laughs) which means not only does she have to know what she wants, she has to ask for it, which is a thing she's historically not been very good at. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And that's why it took her a while to master the use of it. Mm -hmm. She kept complaining that it was stubborn. And Kara was like, well, that makes sense because you are too. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then along with that, the suit is her choice. It's not a uniform. It's something that reflects her as a person. Mm-hmm. And the role that she decides she wants to take as Sentinel is up to her, kind of like how Nia, you know, carved out a specific niche for Dreamer mm-hmm. that's relevant to who she is as a person. Yeah. And like James, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Guardian. With Guardian and then deciding to leave and to become a kind of hero in his hometown and deciding that that was what was important and needed in the world. Yeah. And the other thing that we have seen some growth with for Alex, very different than 
you know, when we saw her in earlier seasons, is she's finally making some progress on balancing like things she needs for herself versus devoting all her attention and energy to what other people need. Mm. Even though they've had all these setbacks with Kara in the front part of season six, and she's still kind of worried that their plans won't work, she is not stopping living her life just like Kara asked her <laughs> not to in season one. Nice. And she asks Kelly to take the next step in their relationship and move in with her, even though she hasn't finished rescuing Kara. Yeah, which is huge for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a big step. Yeah. I mean, you think going from like not being able to go on a date with Maggie because Kara had, well, she had been kidnapped, but like this <laughs> <laughs> feeling yeah. of, of like, I can't have a relationship <laughs> because Kara has been kidnapped, you know? Yeah. Well, and think too, her reaction to, you know, Kara getting kidnapped on Slaver's Moon in season two versus the growth that she makes in season four where she's like, oh, of course you're all right. You're Supergirl. Like, <laughs> you're Supergirl. Why did I ask? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And their little phone conversation. Yeah. So that's Alex. And, and yeah, it'll be nice to see her continue this journey of, of who am I? <laughs> yeah. Of accepting her identity. Of when will her reflection show <laughs> who she is inside. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of reflections, shifting <laughs> something. Oh, uh, <laughs> Sort that of. was a segue that landed. Kinda. <laughs> All right. So Jean. So Jean. <laughs> Jean Mar- Martian, Martian Manhunter. Man <laughs> Jean's central struggle is letting people in. When we first meet him, he is hiding who he is at the DEO and from the Danvers family. He alienates, and, and that pun is intended, Kara <laughs> upon first meeting her. Like as an adult meeting her, right? <laughs> meeting her Not as an adult. Not that tricky time. Yeah. Nope, nope, <laughs> okay. which is also another like... Speaking of hiding. Jean yeah. and, and his trickery being a result of the fear of letting people in and the fear of being like just kind of honest and putting himself out there. And, you know, he struggles with this throughout the seasons with the Danvers sisters and then in his other relationships and say in season five where he hides what he did to Malefic, how he Mm, sent him to the Phantom Zone and then erased the memory of him from their people and himself. And he hides that out of fear of what Alex and Kara would think of him. Yes. And thinking that they would judge him and be really disappointed in him and, and see him differently. Well, and then he also asks Nia not to tell them either. Yeah. Yeah. Which ties back to him asking Alex not to tell Kara about Astra. Mm. And then also this theme of like fathers <laughs> and secret keeping. Yeah. Like with Jeremiah and Alex and Kara. Speaking of our father's episode we just had. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of why Jean feels this compulsion to hide, at least as we see him on Earth, is born out of an insecurity over his identity and who he is. Mm-hmm. Those feelings of monstrosity, as we've been talking about lately for him for his fear that he is the monster not the white martians and he is at fault for the loss of his family and what's on the inside of him is the ugly thing and the scary thing yeah but this kind of manifests as this fear that he mentions in i think it's season four where he explains about this other race of shapeshifters that change shapes so much they forget who they are. Mm. And he is very afraid that he will lose his sense of self and all of the memories of Martian culture that he protects because he's been living as not himself for so long. Mm. And throughout season four, after the loss of his father, we see Jean really struggling to figure out who he is and what he values because he's 
got it in his head, you know, kind of like Kara and Alex struggle with thinking about what other people have asked of them or what they want them to do. Mm. Jean's got this issue of feeling like he needs to be a man of peace in the way that his father was mm-hmm. versus acknowledging that being the Martian manhunter, which he chose, was like kind of the most satisfied he was with his life. And it was a thing that fit him. Mm. Yes. And then tied to that, we also have Jean with this fear of knowing himself, like his innermost thoughts. Hmm. I like that they used this thing that they had set up in the early seasons of the series, which was that he feared embracing his identity as the Martian Manhunter because he was like, bad things happen when I use my powers. Hmm. Danger will follow. And also because he just he had this sense of guilt about him and like that Mm -hmm. he knew something bad was there, but he didn't know what it was. And we see that his fear is realized a little bit in his attempts to protect Kara and Alex over the years. So when he goes to protect Kara from Max Lord during the Bizarro storyline, that backfires and causes some harm. Again, when Kara and Alex ask him to use his powers to erase Colonel Haley's memories, it works, (laughs) but it causes a ripple effect that then harms all of them directly Mm. in a much more painful way. And then when he erases Alex's memories, he and Kara are kind of left picking up the pieces and (laughs) like, oh, this changed things in ways I didn't expect it to. Yeah. And then in season five, we learn that Jean erased the memory of his own brother, Malefic, Mm -hmm. you know, piggybacking on erasing Alex's memories of Kara as a sibling. But like he erased it so fully that he didn't even remember that he had a brother (laughs) at all. Yes. And so the big problem for Jean is that he can't be himself. He can't even know where to begin to be himself (laughs) if parts are missing or if he's hiding from them. Mm, Yeah. And then also we see the ways that him hiding those parts from other people negatively affects him in terms of his ability to connect and to be the person that he wants to be. And in the beginning of season six, this pop up again where he is worried about sharing his mind with Magan. And he says, you know, you realize after this, win or lose, everything will be different between us to Magan, which reminds me of Alex's sentiment of you can't take that back, <laughs> which she <laughs> says to Kara in the pilot episode about her identity. And then she also feels herself like, when she comes out and things with Maggie go wrong, where she's like, yeah, I, I shouldn't, shouldn't have said, have said anything. <laughs> and the sense of like... People knowing you is terrifying. And for Jean, that has to do with his insecurity with his identity and who he is. But with Magan, he does it anyway. And he does it while it is still scary. Because that's what heroes do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then when Kara is lost, Magan notes that Jean is thinking like a father, which is progress for him. You know, thinking back to the pilot episode. Jean here is emotionally vulnerable and expressive, and it's also showing up in unproductive ways, but it is true to who he is. You know, how he like gets angry about Silas not fixing the, the Phantom Zone portal, mm, yeah, which isn't great. But then he follows McGon's advice, which is to think more like a soldier when they hit that longer term setback and he doesn't know where to go. And that sort of thinking like a soldier is where he started the show. He sort of regresses mm. in that way. Yeah. But then when Magan is in danger because, in his own words, he shielded his emotions, 
What pulls him out of it is then opening up to Alex emotionally and letting her in and letting her help him, which then sets him up for being awesome in <laughs> the seventh episode where he uses his mind powers and his sort of mental fortitude to share his fear with the Phantom, which defeats it, which is sort of funny as a character who fears his own like monstrosity that he's secretly dangerous or ugly on the inside using those parts of himself for positive effect and to protect his family members, which is, I think, a very Jean thing. Well, and it's also very fitting that Alex is the one who kind of nudges him out of it because the whole point of Alex's trip down the VR was that, like, recognizing your emotions is the thing that makes you stronger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so for the two of them who have such a kinship, that was like a nice use of that relationship. That's true. And then in the seventh episode, Brainy says, there's still a chance that the Phantom can overpower you. And Jean says, not when I have this much to fight for. And so we see the thing that is scary for Jean, which is letting people in and not only like sharing himself with them, but letting them be important to him. That's the thing that gives him strength here, you know, as opposed to when he was slow to accept Kara and Alex because of his relationship with his daughters that he lost. And this moment of like him being awesome of not when I have this much to fight for is very symbolically reinforced when the elevator door closes and we see the sort of inverted super crust. Mm, yeah, that was a nice catch. Yeah. Reinforcing that like feeling of the way that he is being heroic and, and the different ways that the characters are heroic. And the other piece of this that they set up in the beginning of season six is that Jean, he ends up struggling with the mission to get Kara back because he loses sight of this insight that he had in season four, where he explains that it wasn't until he became a father that he was able to be the Martian Manhunter and be mm -hmm. that soldier in an effective way. And that it's the love for his family that motivated him to do those things. And so like Kara... We see that he can't be one thing without integrating the rest of his identity into it or he won't be as successful. Kind of like we saw with Kara in season three when she closed off her more human right. piece of herself. And we see a really nice acknowledgement for Jean of this fact in that scene in 601 where he gives Alex the sentinel name and explains why he thinks it's fitting for her because it ends up connecting both his past and his present roles as both a father and a protector Yes, in letting her share that with him. So that was a good kind of setup for Jean and where he needs to go. It was. And for the rest of the super friends, we have first Nia Nal, aka Dreamer. Nia's central struggle is recognizing that she isn't like an imposter or mm. or like the wrong sister <laughs> and that who she is makes the world better and that she's the one who's supposed to be doing the things that she is doing. <laughs> and I was joking to you, knowing that Nia had worked for Kat, she needs Kat to give her a uh, angry motivational speech <laughs> to own her power, which is something that Kat said to Kara near the end of season one. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of laughed at that thought because it then is kind of fitting in a way that Nia ends up being the person at the end of 6A who inspires Kat <laughs> to get on the path to becoming that inspirational figure. Yeah. So. And sort of carving out her like, I am like exceptional myself. <laughs> well, and I think for Nia, it was important to see Kat before she fully stepped into that place of being powerful, mm. because I think that resonated for Nia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And also seeing Kara not yet as a fully formed hero. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Which when we talk about season six is like very much tied into what the turning point ends up being for her. Mm-hmm. But for Nia early on, we see her, you know, first episode not fighting the other reporter, Mackenzie, for the right to write the fashion article. We see her trying to find a way to give her powers to her sister. We learn that the family assumed that her sister Maeve would receive it because of a dream that her mom had. And, you know, obviously the fact that Nia is trans played into that. And then we have the sort of origin story for Nia, where she dreams about the death of her mom, who she clearly admired as this like powerful person within the community who uses her dreams for good. But then Nia isn't able to interpret the dream in such a way that prevents her mom's death from happening. And she is devastated by that fact and feels responsible for her death. And and like she failed. And she ends up resisting being a superhero for a long time despite clearly being passionate about helping people, like we see in the episode where she protects Brainy in the pizza shop. And we also see her when she is a hero, really experiencing a lot of joy from it and and having that sort of like fan becoming the thing that you were a fan of energy. (laughs) Yeah. But she resists. Yeah. And the turning point for her embracing her powers and becoming Dreamer ends up happening as a result of encouragement from Kara who uses both the thought of what Nia's mom would want for her, not in an expectation setting way, but in a, you know, she loved you, she's proud of you, she would want you to do this because it matters to you. And also talking about Nia's potential to do good for others, no matter what people may think. Mm-hmm. Kara says about like her own life and Alex initially not having wanted her to become Supergirl and Alex being kind of troublesome, we'll say, in season four at this point. But I can't let that stop me from helping the people that need my help and doing the good that I can do. And you could do a lot of good, too, which ties back into this idea of like power and doing what you can yeah, as a way to inspire Nia. Yeah. And within the context of that, it's Kara also reminding Nia that even though she's had this nasty falling out with her sister and she's lost her mom, she still has a support system Mm. who will help her and who want to help her. Which is, it's nice to see in 6A then Nia be like, well, it's a good thing we have a new family, you know, yeah, (laughs) the super friends. And, And Nia being one of the voices that sort of speaks to that the most of like this is my new family yeah and being the one who's thinking oh i need to welcome everyone Mm. who's new and make them feel like they belong yeah and the thing with that and that relationship with Kara being so important for nia is that once nia makes that choice and she makes it because she sees on the news that people are in danger Mm -hmm. and she knows because alex is not there to help Kara that Kara might need help Once Nia takes that step, she starts using the dreamer persona and really thinking about what she values and making her identity as a hero reflect her broader identity as a person. She participates in that interview at the end of season four where she discloses all these humanizing kind of personal qualities about Mm -hmm. herself. And she carves out a distinct space as a trans superhero for protecting trans people. Mm -hmm. And that's something very important to her in a way that I don't know that some of the other characters have thought about so consciously in that same way Mm, yet. (laughs) And she does this, you know, 
in the midst of still constantly having fears that like she is failing at using her powers or being the kind of hero that she's supposed to be. She has this role and she's failing to live up to it. And that's super present in season six where, you know, Nia in the first episode is doing all right. Like she saves Brainy by using her awesome new like projecting ability to physically interact <laughs> with objects and has this like identity affirming moment of <laughs> when Lillian's like something something like dream girl yeah <laughs> is like it's dreamer and kicks her it's, it's a great it was pretty great <laughs> it was a nice fusion of like Kara and Alex vibes <laughs> Because it had the verbal sass of Kara, but the kicking was very Alex. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You raise a good point. And then, you know, Brainy is now again on their team and like being more open. And Nia says to him, I am not a woman who needs to be protected. And is confident in herself in that way. Yeah. And then the doubts start to settle in again when Kara, as I wrote in the notes here, ghosts them. Rude. <laughs> the things we do for a pun. That's all you. It's what Nia would want. <laughs> it's what Nia would want. All right. All right. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Nia feels pressure to live up to Kara's example, which is something that Brainy sort of reflects back to her in the second episode. And she becomes hypercritical of herself when she can't interpret a dream right away like immediately and is not acknowledging any of her accomplishments she like totally blows past those and we talked about in our truth justice in the american way episode the first part the ways that narratives can make you miss logical details and the narrative that nia has is like i'm failing and her accomplishments become out of focus and she focuses on the failure part fixating on her lack of dream interpretation like prep like she didn't have that education that her sister had with that and the lack of guidance from many of her people, anyone who is also half or fully Naltorian. And in the flashback prom episodes, she just wants to call her mom <laughs> and like get her feedback. And that's this thing that she hasn't been able to get that has been hanging over her the whole time. It's almost a little bit like Kara trying to use the hologram in season one mm. and a little bit early in season two to like still feel connected to her mom. Yeah, interesting. Where she'll tell her stuff about her day, but then it's just a generic response and it doesn't actually make her feel better. Yeah. She <laughs> hears just the answering machine, which is sort of the low-tech version of the <laughs> yeah. hollow mom. The earth version. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then in the prom two-parter, things start to shift a little where Nia has some successes and has encouragement from Brainy and she uses these new awesome powers that are manifesting. And at every turn, she's like, no, I wasn't able to do the thing that I wanted to do. Yeah, she like undercuts it every time. Every time. <laughs> These huge expectations, which is kind of Alex energy. They should hang out. Mm. <laughs> but then she begins to trust herself enough to go forward with like this risky time travel plan and has the moment that we talked about with Kat where she encourages her just through being herself and using her skills as opposed to like some awesome dream interpretation, complex rationalization, just talking to Kat and connecting to her and encouraging her does the thing that they need her to do. Well, and it goes back to what we've said about Nia a lot, which is that because she didn't have the same education as her sister, she's convinced that she doesn't have the tools 
mm-hmm. to succeed when, you know, an objective look at the evidence says that her dreaming style is different than what her mom and her sister were preparing for. And she mm-hmm. does have the tools to get it yeah. most of the time. Yeah, it's a predictive power. So events tend to unfold in a way that gives her the information she needs to figure out what the dreams mean. I am curious to see if they do anything with regard to her dream that she had about her mom and whether or not she was supposed to save her mom as opposed to it telling her something different and a different kind of lesson there. Oh, like the limits on the predictive nature of it, you mean? Well, if you think about a dream power and whether or not it is just a capture of the future or if it's motivated where you're given it for a reason to do something with the information. Was Nia given the information about her mom to save her or was there another purpose for that? Mm. But then yeah, is in a really good place at the end of the two-parter with Brainy and they have that nice scene and they both feel hopeful. But then she has the fear vision in episode seven where Brainy is suddenly not supportive of her, which is so incongruent with what Brainy had been doing the entire time before that. But then if you think about back to Nia's sister, who Nia said was, totally supportive of her being trans their entire lives and then suddenly said this really hateful thing and it destroyed their relationship. It makes sense for Nia in terms of like trauma, not trusting her relationship with Brainy, especially after Brainy also did a thing where he suddenly didn't like her anymore was the message. And Nia like fails in the fear dream to figure out the thing that is needed to save the ship and to save Brainy's life. And that is the note that we end on with her, which is just her looking devastated. Mm. At having failed. And so it'll be interesting to see with she as sort of the character who ended on the, the lowest note <laughs> yeah. where they go with her. Yeah. And then from there, logically, it makes sense to talk about Brainy next. Logically, as he would appreciate. Yes, he would. <laughs> his central struggle is his identity, as with most of the characters, or all of them, and emotions and letting himself feel the things that he wants to feel and having his own like personality take his entrance in season three where we see him immediately struggling to understand like human feelings and and human sort of personality things like in car's attic (laughs) her brain loft and then in season four brainy goes in the direction of trying to start embracing the what i'll call the messiness of humanity (laughs) and then within the midst of all of this at the end of season four he experiences that very traumatic reset Mm. that picks up upon his ancestral memory he calls it of the evil brainiacs and Mm -hmm. throughout season four up to that point we had seen brainy struggling because his feelings were getting in the way of his ability to compute and make you know statistical probability calculations Mm. efficiently and he was like struggling for ways to kind of rein in the feelings. And then he gets captured because he wants to do something for Nia that she admires because he he loves her. Mm -hmm. And he decides to go through with her plan of sneaking onto the base, even though Jean said no. And he knew that the odds were like 50-50 that they'd get caught. And then that reset makes him detached from her and everyone else in a way that also could have endangered all of them, but more to the point that he was scared of and didn't like. Right. Yes. But then we see in season five, these other Brainiacs appear who are like fully integrated, like happy with themselves seeming people. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the one of them was pretty stressed. (laughs) (laughs) The evil one. And and having some some plots. And we learn that Brainy 
has personality inhibitors that are limiting the full range of who he is and, and keeping that contained, which are put on him because of his sort of scary reaction that he had when he was a kid. And he has this fear about taking them off ever again because he's afraid of what he will become and the ways that his emotions will affect him. And then he does it. And for one shining moment, he looks so happy. But then the female brainy tells him that in order to protect everyone, he has to align himself with someone he totally disagrees with and then hide it from all of his friends. So basically, he has to contain all of his emotions and function only logically, which is, you know, again, like one step forward, 10 steps back. (laughs) Yeah, little. Which happens with the main struggles of the characters. There's a new kind of obstacle with regard to their central struggle, and then they overcome it, and then another one comes. For Brainy, it took him a while to get past this one where he was aligned with Lex. And then he realizes only when Lex basically just goes off and does horrible stuff (laughs) and Brainy Hmm. isn't able to logically defeat him by being close to him. That was perhaps not a good choice and that he should have instead opened up with and let his friends in and been honest with himself and to them. And in season six, it starts off where he's finally revealing what's been going on and and opening up to Nia. But then he is, again, not containing everything in little boxes and and having to deal with emotions in a real way, (laughs) as opposed to before where he was inhibited by the inhibitors. (laughs) And then again, when he made the decision to only function logically, that was another way of suppressing. So he's opened up at the beginning, but then Carr is gone and he's facing this big, difficult, emotional thing and having trouble handling the depth of his feelings. Mm. So he tries coping mechanisms, which are basically just him trying to suppress again. But he ultimately learns that, like in high school, you're not meant to suppress the bad emotions. You are simply meant to endure them. And then we have Kelly Olsen. Her central struggle is whether or not she is strong enough to protect her loved ones, as far as we have seen so far. In that she was introduced when James was in the hospital and dying. And we see her take on that role (laughs) as this like rational, sensible one who is supposed to protect him. Yes. And to fully demonstrate that she has this moment when Eve sets off all this chaos at the hospital of kind of freaking out a little bit and saying, I chose the safe option. (laughs) You know, bad stuff like this isn't supposed to happen when you Mm -hmm. make the safe choices. At which point she then says, "Okay, Alex, I'll trust you with your crazy risky plan uh, to let Lena use this non-FDA approved drug. Yes. uh, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And Kelly here is like trying to be the responsible one. And then the circumstances are quite outlandish where her tools that she has, like the way that she sees the world does not work. She has to adapt. Yes. And then again in season four, we see Kelly struggle to face reliving her father's funeral, which was a traumatic memory, in order to help James trying to be strong enough to protect him yeah. when he is having side effects to the Harnell serum. And it was actually Alex's support that helped Kelly believe that she was strong enough, which is something that she voices to her later. Yeah. Well, and specifically support in the sense that Alex was willing to go to bat for her Mm. and set a boundary, even if Kelly didn't want to, even though she should. Which made her feel safe (laughs) and strong then in order to be like, no, I can do this. Yeah. Well, and also knowing that like, okay, someone will catch me if this goes to crap. Yes. 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 (laughs) And then we learn that Kelly... Her fiance died Mm -hmm. and that she has PTSD from it. 
And those feelings resurface when she sees Alex's life in danger in season five and she tries to leave the relationship. Not in a bad way, though, in like a self-protective and I'm not strong enough to handle this way. She says, and so I push past my fears and I convince myself that I can handle it all, but I'm not that strong. And Alex is then like, well, that's why you have me. And she reminds her of her strength, saying, like, you helped me heal. You are strong enough, basically, to protect the people in your life in that way. And then she says that they will face it together. Mm, Yeah, because a component of why Kelly was then upset was that Alex didn't even tell her that anything bad had Mm. happened in that one conflict before you think they're going to break up. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then we see this come again to the surface in season six when Kelly feels like she isn't actually helping anyone. Mm. She burns her hands when she tries to protect Magan from the Phantom when the Phantom freezes the pole that she's holding. And then in that episode, she's surprised when Alex says that she helped her. She's like, I did because <laughs> she didn't feel like yeah. she was contributing anything. And then she voices feeling out of her depth in episode seven. And the fear vision that she sees actually says, like, we see you exactly as you are, Kelly Olson, weak human. We are heroes with unparalleled intellects. And they're speaking through the assorted super friends Mm. and incredible strength. And yet we all succumbed. What chance do you stand? Like, you're not strong enough, basically. And how are you supposed to help us? Like, we are the strong ones and we failed. But then she is motivated to protect Alex. There's this moment where the Phantom is about to attack her specifically and the camera frames it that way. And she has this badass moment where she takes a piece of the ship and uses it as a shield and and does this like cool action hero (laughs) moment and, and blocks the Phantom's scratch. And she is like visibly shocked by what she was capable of. Well, and the other piece with Kelly and the fear vision in episode seven is that everyone else is already appreciating her value. One of them says, you're the person who's going to keep us together Mm -hmm. if the fears start, because you understand how emotions work in a a good way, as opposed to a lot of them who have some struggles there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And that's why every friend group needs somebody with psychology skills and tools, as opposed to little boxes. (laughs) Yeah. Which is interesting, then, that Lena is the one who actively consciously recalls Kelly's advice and uses it within her fear vision. Which takes us to Lena, whose central struggle is, as you may guess, do no harm, (laughs) unlike the Luthers, who have done lots of harm. And continue to do harm, as we may see later. Yes, they are persistent. A strength? (laughs) Yes. And in particular, with Do No Harm, figuring out how to practically do that and forming her own moral foundation is the real struggle beneath the struggle, (laughs) as Kat may say. There it is. Yep. (laughs) And... Lena is introduced as just trying to make a name for herself, independent of her family and with El Corp. Yeah, and she's rebranding. So She's rebranding. Being good is part of that. Yeah. Yes. And there's a mixed bag of things within that attempt, like the alien detection device. Yeah. But we often see the character get so wrapped up in being a good person that she forgets to ground it in compassion for people and like, like actually connecting to them in that way. And then also connection in terms of things that other people can contribute to the greater good and just Mm. being about her being a good person as opposed to the greatest good for everybody. Yeah. And as we've talked about before in the 
podcast, Lena tends to rely heavily on external validation to know what is good, Mm -hmm. specifically because her upbringing in the Luther household has warped her sense of what that word means Mm -hmm. to a point that if it's not objectively good by society standards, she's not really sure. (laughs) Yeah. So we see this through her, her tendency to use very grand public gestures of goodwill. You know, she is heavily invested in the children's hospital, like one, because it's important to her, but two, because that's a visible public good. She mentions that trying in her own small way to be more like Supergirl because she Mm -hmm. understands that Supergirl is a public figure who is good. And we see her, you know, donating material goods to the community as a way of helping. She Mm -hmm. decides that she's going to save Catco and unbiased journalism from Morgan Edge in season three when he threatens to buy the company. Mm -hmm. She also, and this one was subtle, ends up creating the image inducers for aliens to protect themselves during season four when there's a lot of rising anti-alien sentiment to kind of acknowledge the criticisms that Kara had made about her alien detection device and recognizing, okay, I did something that maybe made this problem worse, Mm -hmm. so let me fix it. Um, (laughs) Yes. Speaking of people who have that, I need to fix this in common. (laughs) Uh, Truly. The other thing, if you think back in the end of season two, where she agrees to help Rhea fix the transmat portal, even though she knows Rhea has lied to her because she thinks she's doing something good for aliens, and she knows, like, that's the antithesis of being a Luther. Uh, and also because she's getting this positive mentoring feedback from mm-hmm. Rhea in a way that she never got from her own family. And she just she likes that. It's yeah, nice. Like, it's nice. And that, it's just unfortunate that it was by Rhea. Yeah. <laughs> Another manipulative liar of a person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She has trouble picking them. Well, it makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah. But then a shift happens around season three where she is so concerned with like external validation that then the flip side of that is that it's super hurtful for her if the validation does not come or there is a negative feedback. She finds it sort of intolerable to be criticized and has very little self-awareness about that aspect. Yeah. And the reason for that is that she kind of associates criticism with the verbal abuse that she endured from her family, which we see Mm -hmm. repeatedly whenever she interacts with Lex and also with Lillian and her kind of undercutting sarcasm. And so it's not just the sense of like, this makes me feel bad and I have to avoid it. Like, that's definitely a part of it. But it is also like a judgment call and a failed judgment call of like criticism means that the other person is bad and Ah, abusive. (laughs) And she ends up shutting out all feedback, starting with like the thing with rain and mm-hmm. and the thing with kryptonite and having these secret projects and it sort of escalates. That's yeah, sure yeah. does. <laughs> well, and the other piece too is that at some point in I think it's season three, Lillian makes mm-hmm. a comment about how Lena is better or more on her game when she thinks mm-hmm. like a Luther. And Lena gets this idea that okay, I have some, you know, counterbalancing influences to this. So I can control that Luther influence that Mm. was part of my life. And I'll see the danger. Mm -hmm. I'll see the danger zones in that behavior before I go down that path and and become like my family. Mm -hmm. 
But then the thing that she sort of misses about that moment in season three is that she opened up to Kara like, I almost killed somebody. And like she she <laughs> shares yeah. with Kara her struggle. And then that is what helps her. <laughs> she doesn't continue to do that. Yeah. And so for Lena, we're with a lot of the other characters, we've talked about how they wall off parts of themselves and have mm. a difficulty with integrating those things. Lena's problem is almost like she's been trying to integrate too many things that maybe she needs to look at with a more critical eye mm-hmm. yeah. and see if that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, it's sort of like Jean's tendency to like lie or manipulate mm. where imagine if he were super defensive of that and like if he had a different emotional reaction, he could go down a darker path with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, he's helped by the fact that he is letting other people in a little bit. But then season five comes when she has a moment where, as James would say, someone holds up a mirror Mm. because Lex says the thing that she started to believe, which is like, I have to control people and that people are intrinsically like not okay on their own. (laughs) Like I have to be the one to fix them. Yeah. Which is like a weird, dark Kermit version of Alex's (laughs) needing to trust that people can take care of themselves. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's true. And she realizes that she has become too much like her brother and like along that path and finally comes to Carr like, I have messed up, which eventually leads to her in season six attempting to integrate herself with the super friends Mm -hmm. and take very positive steps like where she leaves this endless cycle of Winning and losing and sacrificing pawns and and people being hurt in a battle with Lex in order to just like, he will (laughs) self-destruct. I don't need to be the one who makes the good thing happen. Mm -hmm. If I take myself out of this and make this not about me, then it'll be better for everyone. Yeah. Well, it's better for her. And it's also, you know, then he loses that thing to play to his ego. Yes, he does. Which is better for (laughs) society. So, (laughs) Yeah. But then she gets tripped up on this like single-minded goal that she has of bringing Kara home in a different way (laughs) to how Alex has the single-minded goal where it's because she feels responsible for the loss of Kara and it threatens her like I'm being a good person like progress that she thinks that she's making and it becomes again sort of about her yeah and the ways that she can help and she can be the person who fixes things But then Alex is able to act as a check on her because Lena has made those steps of being integrated with the super friends. Alex is able to be there like, I'm actually taking this out of your hands because you can't make the right decision right now. (laughs) Well, and it's also kind of neat that it's Alex because they have that beat in 602 where Lena hits Lex and then is like, oh, (laughs) you might also be mad about this. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) And And Alex is like, no, it's family first. You're okay. Yeah, But like, I I think for Lena, that was probably the right person Mm. to say it to her. Number one, because Lena gets that, you know, Alex's stake in this is equally high, if not higher. Right. And also because of all the other, you know, super friend characters, they have the most similar backgrounds in some ways. Mm. And so they've worked together in a way that really only a Brainy has also kind of worked with Lena. Right. But then Alex is also in a position more than, say, Brainy and definitely mm. more than Kara to push back. Yes. Kara <laughs> emotionally and then Brainy just because Lena has a bit more experience with like being a human person. <laughs> 
Yeah. And <laughs> Not that <laughs> he she's doesn't, great at it, but... <laughs> no, it's the blind leading the blind, but... <laughs> Which is why their dynamic is so much fun it's sometimes, really good, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are sort of on equal footing, but like not in a way where I could see Brainy would be like, you should do this thing I think is right. Like yeah. he recognizes that he's not the person to be able to, to have that insight. Yeah. Whereas Alex, she's both the person who's been most critical of Lena, like still on the team. Mm. And is also sympathetic to her, especially because of her relationship with Kara and, and also the friendship that they grew in like season four when it was yeah. <laughs> awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Lena is in a good place in terms of making that progress on being a good force in the world and forming her own moral foundation and what she thinks is the right thing. Kind of like Kara trusts her own gut instinct about right and wrong. Lena has to develop that <laughs> right now. And Alex helped her in terms of being like, we all contribute different things. This is what we had to do. But the fact that you felt differently can be okay. <laughs> yeah. So like Lena's not there yet, but no, she's trying. And that's more than we've seen previously. So she'll it's get true. there. <laughs> yes. And then to wrap up with some new bits and pieces that we will see in these final 13 episodes, but we don't know yet exactly where they're going to go. First, we have Nixley, mm -hmm. who is, uh, as I refer to her as, Cycles' favorite harbinger of chaos, uh, who <laughs> we last fun. saw gleefully clinging to the outside of the spaceship. <laughs> She's going to be fun, I think. She's going to be great. She's going to just spice up the conflict mm. in many fun, mysterious ways. Yes. And uh, be a hindrance to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I look forward to her as someone who may be interacting with the different super friends, not yeah. just Kara specifically, and as someone who... They kind of set Malefic up to be that in mm, yeah. season five, where like somebody who's like a wrench in, in the team. But I think she's in a better vantage point to do some chaotic things. <laughs> I look forward to it. That will maybe be bad, but also joyful to but watch. But also yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> and then related to that, we didn't really touch on like Andrea or William or Eve, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, because we haven't seen them much for yeah. the first seven so we have no idea what's specifically going to happen with the Catco team, but we do have some understanding of Andrea as a character, and we know that she lives for clickbait. <laughs> so uh, I expect she'll, now that she's solely focused on Catco because her technology business folded, mm -hmm. she's going to need something to occupy her time and energy and focus. <laughs> and I expect that that will uh, <laughs> throw some, some obstacles up for mm -hmm. Kara and Nia in their yeah. attempts to live their double lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, with Andrea, like the little we do know for where her character is probably going, we know that she is sort of trying to be better. <laughs> but yeah. she also has her who she is. Like her, she's still contending with the fact that she has a certain style and, and a, a way of going about things, and which should be interesting in terms of the ways that she might become a hero and, and whether or not she can accomplish that. And then we also have William, who last we saw was disappointed that Kara hadn't said goodbye to him. So we'll see. Speaking of Kara ghosting people. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. And uh, also, speaking of Kara, Supergirl will be back tomorrow, oh, which this wow. wait felt long, but also very fast. Uh, <laughs> so uh, get your favorite comfort food, plan out what you're going to eat, because it it will be a feast of emotion. A feast right. of emotion. I can do puns too, Cycles. 
<laughs> very good. Very good. Um, and so episode 608 will be tomorrow night and it is called Welcome Home, Kara, which as you will recall from the second episode of season six, Alex had written for Kara mm-hmm. when she had her little like welcome back feast that never happened. So yeah. <laughs> so it'll probably be really fun, but also bittersweet is my yes. guess. Uh. Is my guess as well. It's kind of like the scene when Alex and Kara are having fun in 601 where they're like, oh, you, yeah. <laughs> you never return my t-shirts and stuff like that. It's a silly lighthearted moment where you're like, things are going to go poorly. <laughs> later. And then like it turns on a dime and then... <laughs> tragedy it's yeah. cheery enough to be foreboding is yes. what welcome home Kara is in my yes, mind yes exactly and then last a couple of other things we had done a fundraiser for the podcast last year that we ended up postponing indefinitely uh, so <laughs> like many things yes yes like many things of 2020 so we have officially relaunched the podcast production fundraiser for 2021 So if you are able to contribute a few dollars, we would appreciate it. And many thanks to the people who have contributed so far. Mm -hmm. The fundraiser helps us cover our hosting costs, equipment upkeep, and our ability to add new content and new features. And to that end, if you are able to contribute, whether it's a one-off contribution or you decide you want to do a monthly subscription, which we now have on coffee, Mm -hmm. you will receive a bonus podcast episode as a thank you. Mm -hmm. We did a commentary track for the pilot episode, as Cycles mentioned earlier, and it will be there for you if you want to take a trip down memory lane as you're getting psyched up to see the end Mm -hmm. of season six. Yes, the the final journey. (laughs) So in order to find the link for the fundraiser, please go to our site, supergirlsaddict.com, and there's a post about it, and there will also be the red button at the top. And then last exciting thing, we have been kind of teasing that this was coming for a couple of weeks now, but we appeared as guests on the most recent podcast episode for The Game of Nerds, which (laughs) is a online fan hub that covers... Everything you could imagine related to fandom, including TV shows, films, video games, and books. So we were invited on to talk about Supergirl, the TV show, but it is Mm -hmm. a departure in a fun way Mm -hmm. from our episode style. There's even uh, bad words on occasion. (laughs) What? Um, But we do... Gasp. Still talk about the show, what the show means kind of as a piece of media, and Mm -hmm. then what it's like to be a fan and be a part of fandoms. Yes. It's a fun listen. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So you guys have lots of content. (laughs) Yeah. All at once. Supergirl (laughs) Saturday. All at once. Speaking of Kara and her feast of food, there is a a whole wealth of content to consume. Yes. Uh, (laughs) To, you know, get you in the mood for Supergirl's return. And as usual, you can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram if you'd like to discuss any of these things or have questions. And we'll be back with our regular episodes focused on the show starting this week, basically. Yeah. And thanks for listening. Thank you.